if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers bearing crosses or stars of David. They add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. Bob Fratz Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Hour number two underway now at eight minutes past 10 o'clock. Thank you for being with us on AM 1420. The answer. Thanks again to Pastor Mark Little for joining us. Coming up in about a half an hour at 1035, we're going to have a full-on expose of Black Lives Matter. Uh, John Perazzo is a writer, and uh, he wrote a piece for the David Horowitz uh, Freedom Center, which ran in Frontline. It's 34 pages long. It's available in hardcover, hard copy, rather, as well. And uh, I posted, posted this on my Facebook page yesterday, early, and I spent a good deal of the day reading it and highlighting it. And John Perazzo, the author of it, is going to be joining me to discuss Black Lives Matter, Marxist Hate Dressed as Racial Justice. Um, it's really an extraordinarily uh, thorough piece of work on the history of BLM, its goals, and its mission, um, which has nothing to do with black lives, by the way. Uh, last night, there was a shooting in, poli- in Cleveland, of course. Police officer, Detective James Skernovitz, 53 years old, a 25-year veteran, was killed in the line of duty. He was undercover at the time. A second individual was also shot and killed in that car with him. One arrest has been made that we know of this morning. And joining us now to talk about this as well as policing in America in general, is the president of the Ohio FOP, the Fraternal Order of Police, Gary Wolski, on AM 1420, The Answer. Gary, good morning. Good morning, Bob. Even though it's not really a good morning, but thank you. Yeah, you're right. Uh, It's not. Uh, I started the show on a very down note. I don't like to do that, but uh, it's the reality. It's very frustrating. It's very upsetting. I invited you on yesterday to talk about what's going on in Chardon, and we will. Uh, I know you wrote a letter to the superintendent of Chardon Schools expressing some of the uh, frustration that you have and that a lot of us feel with their decision to not allow the blue line uh, flag, the uh, thin blue line flag, to uh, be flown at uh, or carried at football games because it can be seen as racially motivated. But let's talk about Detective Skernovitz first. Um, my my commentary at the top of the show, Gary, and I don't know if you were able to hear it, is just, you know, I don't know who did this, and I don't know what their motivation was, but I do know that there is a motivation among many in America today to take out cops. They want them defunded, they want them abolished, and yes, they have chanted, what do we want, dead cops, when do we want them now? Um, there is a target on cops like maybe never before in this country. So while we don't know exactly who or what happened last night, uh, it is symbolic and typical of what is going on across this country, is it not? 
Absolutely, Bob. I mean, there was just an article the other day that uh, the Chicago gangs have put something out where they're just going to walk around and, and, and shoot police officers. And this all stems from all the things that we've talked about in the past, where going back to uh, the previous administration where, you know, not getting along with the police was, was, was the thing to do. And, you know, we've seen that build, building up and, and, and turn into what it's turned into now with, with these folks that are so far left and extreme that it's just, it, it's getting crazy. I mean, the country certainly, it's in, a, it's in a time of anarchy right now, and we need to find a way to fix that soon. That's a that's a tall order, though, isn't it, Gary? Uh, find a way to fix that soon. When we have, and, and I really truly don't mean to drag you into political battles here, because that's not your job and that's not your, your purview, but we literally have a presidential race that's going on and, you know, a race between two parties for federal control. And one of those two parties has indeed called for the defunding of police and called police the problem, saying police and their systemic racism and their intentional targeting of unarmed black males is the cause for all of this strife. And this is the reason why police are are being attacked the way that they are, because of their own racism. Um, I, I don't understand how we can get past all of that when we have one of the two major parties literally preaching that on a daily basis. And it's going to be extremely difficult. And, 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 and you know, I, I know Joe Biden. I've met with him. That's not him. I think this is just stemming from his desire to be the president, what he has to say to, to win these folks over that are that are the far-left people that, that have made up his base. Defunding the police isn't anything that needs to be done. I mean, obviously, maybe the police need to be, you know, there needs to be some reforms without a doubt. There certainly doesn't need to be a, a defunding of the police. There's always room for more training. And things like that. But again, you know, we continually see, and, and again, part of the problem is, is the media, no disrespect to you because you're not one of those. But, you know, the, the incident that just happened in Washington, D.C. the other day, that young man raised that gun to the, to the police officer and he was shot. And what did they do? They rioted before they found out the true facts. The true facts were he was going to shoot the police officer. Right, and, and that doesn't matter. They they and they they lied. They said he was shot in the back. They said he was unarmed. Uh, neither of those things were true. He was shot in the chest, and he was armed. And and there are the body camera footage shows the gun and the still pictures and so on and so forth. And that's my point. Um, you, you know how how do we get past this? You know, you talk about the need for some reforms, and okay, yeah, because there are a very very tiny tiny portion of police officers that may cross the line in certain circumstances, right? But but the real reform that needs to be made is on behalf of the public. Follow the orders you are given, and you are not going to get shot. Follow the orders, comply, and 99.999% of the time, you're going to walk away from that situation. Now, you may walk away from it in handcuffs, and you may have to plead your case before a judge, but you're going to walk away from it rather than being carried away from it. And this guy in Washington wouldn't listen, just like Jacob Blake wouldn't listen when the officers with their tased him twice and then had their guns drawn on him saying, freeze, stop, don't do this, and he goes into his car anyway to come out with what? Who knows? Uh, you know, a can of Pepsi or an Uzi? I don't know, and I'm not going to wait to find out. I mean, the real reform well, needs to be done in the, in, on, the, on the part of the public, in my view. I agree. And with Jacob Blake, he had a knife in his hand as he walked to his car. Right. So what, what was he reaching for? What, what, what other right. weapon was he reaching for? Right. And, you know, there was another one that was crazy. I forgot what city it was, but one of the, the politicians said that before the police can arrest these looters, they have to ask have a need for the things they stole. Yeah, that was yeah, that was California. That was a California legislator, I, I believe. 
Yeah, yeah. We gotta, you gotta before we arrest them and charge them, we have to determine how badly they needed them. As if it I mean, necessity has. You know what? I need a new car, man. Mine is breaking down all the time, and I'm broken. I can't fix it. Do I get to steal a car because I needed it really bad? I mean, is that what they're saying? There's just this embracing of lawlessness, Gary, that has frustrated me, and I'm a civilian. I can't imagine what it's like for you and the guys in uniform. Yeah, it's it, it's terrible. You know, the officers are afraid to do anything because they're going to be on the front page of the paper and 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 you know taken to task by the media for just doing their job. And that's all these incidents that we're seeing. That's what we're seeing. You know, Mr. Floyd. Now the coroner come out and said that he died of an overdose. That's yeah, he had enough know, fentanyl. I think they said he had ten there. times enough fentanyl that would kill a normal person uh, that was in his system. Uh, and he was screaming, there, or not screaming, but but complaining that he couldn't breathe long before he was even put on the ground. Now, did Derek Chauvin uh, listen to him and, and perhaps show some compassion? No, he didn't, and that's why he looks terrible in that video with his knee on him. He didn't need to be kneeling on him for so long, but you're right. You know, we, we, we there are circumstances there that nobody waits to find out the facts over uh, before they pass their judgment, and, and that has led to, like I said, such a terrible... Uh, you know, terrible fate for cops right now is they're each and every night they go out on the patrol or day, really, uh, they've got targets on their back because there is such a ginned up anger and hatred for them and allegations of their racism. Um, Gary, let's talk about that now as it pertains to uh, Chardon. Um, you wrote a letter to the superintendent of Chardon Schools. I wrote an email to the superintendent, by the way, requesting a conversation. I wanted him to come on and talk about his side of this whole thing. Um, you know, the kid carried out, uh, one kid carried out an American flag to their game last Friday. The other kid carried out the uh, thin blue line flag. And the superintendent said, that's not happening anymore because that's political. It can be viewed as racially motivated. Tell me the substance of your letter to him. Well, first of all, I can't understand how that could possibly be racially motivated and by anybody. And uh, again, you know, why are we allowing the, 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 uh, feelings and thoughts of one class of people to be more valid than another class of, of, of individuals. In, in Chardon, especially, where, you know, unfortunately, and, I, and I've been told it was wrong for me to bring up the, the, the school shooting back in 2012 there, but that's one of the things that forged this relationship with the police there. That's right. These, people, these, these athletes right now, these students that are, that are in question right now, were in that school system at the time. The police did a tremendous job there. They've done a lot of things in the community with the community, the students and everything, and they forged a relationship. And one of the police officers is even a coach. And for these young men to want to honor these guys by, by bringing out a law enforcement, the, the, the thin blue line flag, which is shown, which is flown just to so, show support for the men and women in law enforcement who put their lines, lives on the line every single day, as Detective Skernovich did last night, is ludicrous. Just to think that that's racist. I mean... Well, you know, you know and here's here's the here's the frustrating part about it. The super we're talking. If you just turn the radio on, Gary Wolski is the Ohio Fraternal Order of uh, Police President. Uh, Superintendent Hanlon said that some can view that flag, the blue line flag, as being racially motivated, and therefore it must go. What I would like to know from Superintendent Hanlon is, why is the American flag allowed to be there at all? Because guess what? Some people see the American flag as, as being racially motivated. Some see that as being a, a symbol of, uh, of colonization and a symbol of racism and a symbol of America's uh, terrible past. I mean, we hear it all the time. The 
professional athletes are doing it all the time. They won't uh, you know, stand for that flag and stand for our anthem. So if we're removing the blue line flag because some see it as racial, then why not remove the American flag as well, right? I, I agree. We see people being more disrespectful to the American flag every day than ever before. And, you know, with certainly against the blue line flag. And, you know, I think he, he pointed out in some of his comments that, uh, you know, the, the flag has been carried by people that are white supremacists. Well, you can't, in, in the United States of America, you still can't prevent people from carrying something that they don't have a right or shouldn't be carrying. That's not the meaning of the flag. It's never been the meaning of the flag. But the whole concept of the thin blue line is started in the 20s and was probably really, you know, brought more to the forefront in the 50s by uh, Chief Parker, LAPD, and then Joseph Womb on all of his uh, police novels. The yeah. thin blue line's for a long time, and there's a flag, and to say this racist is, is, is crazy. Well, 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 again, to double down on what I just said, you know, and Superintendent Hanlon is so short-sighted here, it's sickening to me you know, that, to know that this guy is a doctor, he's a Ph.D., um, because that argument could also be made about the American flag. Guess what? Some white supremacist groups march with the American flag, too. They think that they're doing America proud with their hatred. Uh, they're not. But because some white supremacists may carry the American flag, again, are we going to ban the American flag? I want Hanlon to answer that, but he's too cowardly to come out and talk to somebody like me. He certainly is. And I think that he's, I think he found out that his community is not supporting him either. I mean, his school board may have, yeah. and they may feel a, an obligation to do that with him, but his community certainly is not behind him. I mean, I know they have that rally there tonight, and I think that you're going to see a, a, a huge turnout of people supporting law enforcement and that young man that was brave enough Well, I'm, to, to I'm, do I'm that. glad you brought that up, Gary, because I was going to ask you about that. Um, in addition to this big protest tonight, which is going to be outside the football stadium on the sidewalks, they said, where it's public property, people are going to be waving their thin blue line flags. Hold the music for a second, if you could, Derek, because I want to finish this thought. Thank you. I know we're going long here, but bear with me. Gary, um, I have also seen somebody sent me a copy of the Facebook rally invitation to Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter is also going to descend on that Charlotte, uh, Chardon football stadium and, uh, and have a quote-unquote counter-protest. I'm very, very worried about what's going to happen out there tonight. Are you? I agree with you. And, and, and again, that just shows what that organization is all about. They're all about confrontation and creating problems. They're not about, you know, moving their agenda forward, which everybody agrees, black lives matter, all lives matter. We've had that conversation before. But to go out there is just simply to cause trouble in a place where they don't need the trouble, and it's not warranted. These are people supporting a young man that did something that he thought was right, supporting law enforcement, who's been a major factor in his life and, and, you know, in that community for, for quite a long time. Always, they've always had a good relationship with the police. But ever since the tragic shooting in 2012, they've had a great relationship out there. And for, you know, BLM to come out there and do that is absolutely wrong. And, and hopefully it won't cause any problems. You know, the law enforcement folks will hopefully be able to keep it under control. Gary Wolski is the president of the Ohio FOP. Gary, uh, thank you for all that you do. Uh, I know this cuts to the heart of, of you and every other person who wears the uniform to see something happen like what happened last night with Detective Skernovitz uh, giving his life in, uh, in, do, in the line of duty. Um, I, uh, our prayers and thoughts are with you and everybody else who wears that uniform and your families. Thank you for what you do to keep us all safe. 
next album. Let me know if you see LeBron's tweet about this day, about how tragic it was, because I haven't seen it yet. So I'm looking forward to his response in the NBA and Major League Baseball's response to this. Maybe they'll take the night off again today. But thanks again for all you do, Bob. Such a, thank you so much, Gary. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pretty sure you're not going to have LeBron James chanting, say his name, say his name, about Detective James Skernovitz. I'll say it. Say his name. He was Detective James Skernovitz, and his life mattered. His blue life mattered. We'll be right back. Okay, 1027. I want to set the table here for for my next guest. And by the way, my last guest was wonderful, uh, Gary Wolski. And I know he really wishes he was talking about something other than the death of a police officer uh, last night in Cleveland. One arrest has been made. Again, just the update on that. One arrest has been made uh, in the shooting of James Skernovitz, Cleveland police detective, 53 years old, 25-year veteran, working undercover last night. And uh, we'll keep you posted on developments in that case as we get them. Um, but my next guest is going to talk a lot about what we have been talking about and how can we not because it's literally taking over the country, the Black Lives Matter movement. When I say literally, I mean even our sports teams. You can't watch a baseball game without BLM on the mound. You can't watch an NBA game without Black Lives Matter plastered across the court. You're not going to be able to watch football this summer, this uh, fall in the NFL without social justice BLM messages in the end zones and on helmets and everything else. And my next guest, after the bottom of the hour news, John Perazzo, is going to talk about the reality of what Black Lives Matter is. And the reality is that it has nothing to do with black lives. All right? His very important work exposing the history and the uh, current situation and the future plans of BLM is, again, it's 34 pages long. I posted this link to my Facebook page, and the first thing I did was apologize, saying, I know this is long, sorry about that, but take the time to settle in and read these 34 pages. An investigative report from the David Horowitz Freedom Center by John Perazzo called Black Lives Matter, Marxist Hate Dressed as Racial Justice. And just to set the table for this, before we get into that conversation, um, uh, after the bottom of the hour news, it starts with the name. There's there's reason a reason for this. During the run-up to the war in Iraq in early 2003, there was a coalition named United for Peace and Justice, which played a central role in organizing most of the anti-war demonstrations across the country. And they named it that way for a good reason, because who could possibly oppose such lofty virtues as peace or justice, right? But United for Peace and Justice had little to do with either of those virtues. In fact, it was a Hate America coalition that sought to save the regime of one of the monsters of the 20th century, Saddam Hussein. They used slogans like peace and justice and relentlessly accused the United States of pursuing a policy of permanent warfare and empire building around the world. And maybe you're saying, so what? Well, here's what. The co-chair of United for Peace and Justice was Leslie Kagan a longtime Communist Party member and a national leader for the Committees of Correspondence for Democracy and Socialism, which is a self-identified Marxist group. Well, guess who else is a co-leader of Black Lives Matter? The same woman, Leslie Kagan. Leslie Kagan 
is using the exact same model here. We have to find a name that no one could argue with. Black Lives Matter. Yeah, anybody who opposes us now will be called a racist because they'll be saying that black lives don't matter. But Black Lives Matter deceptively conceals its reality and its, its true focus, which is a radical, racist, horrifically destructive agenda, getting rid of capitalism in the United States of America and rebuilding this country in a socialist communist model. This is not about black lives. And we're going to get to the uh, in-depth on it with uh, John Perazzo coming up next on AM 1420, The Answer. The Answer, now heard through downtown, through greater Cleveland on 102.5 FM. All right, 1035 now. We continue on AM 1420, The Answer. Thanks so much for being with us. We talk about Black Lives Matter all the time. How can we not? It is front and center of just about every news story that is going on right now, and it makes you wonder when it is not part of the news story. Black Lives Matter. Whether or not you can say black lives matter or whether or not you uh, whether or not you can say all lives matter or you must say black lives matter. You know the drill by now, right? Well, black lives matter, of course black lives matter because the, their lives are like every other life, precious, no matter what color it might be. Black lives matter. Do not be fooled by the name. What is black lives matter really? Black lives matter is a Marxist hate group dressed up as racial justice. I'm stealing that headline from the incredible investigative report written by John Perazzo from the uh, David Horowitz Freedom Center. Uh, this was run in Frontline Magazine, and uh, John Perazzo joins us now to discuss in depth. John, thank you for your time. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you very much for having me. 34 pages long. I, the first thing I did when I shared this on my Facebook page was apologize to my to my viewers and, and visitors because that's a long read. Most people don't like to spend that much time reading, but every single word, every paragraph is extraordinarily important. So because of the length and the depth of this, I'm going to forego the normal pleasantries, John Perazzo, and talk about the uh, the organization. I started setting this up before you came on in my last segment. Let's talk about the name. Why does the name Black Lives Matter? Why is that so important to their end, uh, their end all be all goal? Well, it was a name that was chosen because it sounds very benign. It's a, it's a name that, that is a slogan that virtually no one of goodwill would take issue with. Everyone in America pretty much believes, yes, Black Lives Matter. No one would argue with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was a very clever moved by by the founders of Black Lives Matter because they knew that under a name like that, a name that would be accepted by the vast majority of people and enthusiastically embraced by the vast majority of people, under that they could they could uh, they could hide a very radical agenda, uh, and it's a Marxist agenda. It's a hate America agenda, and uh, all under the, the noble sounding banner uh, of Black Lives Matter. And as you point out in uh, in the piece, this is not something they hide. This is not something that is you know you know deep down we're really Marxists. They say it in interviews. They have said they have said it on their website and in a various other uh, various other uh, uh, online posts. Tell us about these founders. Tell us about Alicia Garza, Patrice Colors, if I'm saying her name correctly, and Opal Tometi also. Uh, these three individuals are the founders who have put this whole thing together, and they do not hide their Marxism. No, uh, they make it very clear that the media hide it, the, the, the mainstream media don't talk about it, but it's there for anyone who wants to see it and understand it. Patrice Colors actually came out, she's, she's on video, having said in an interview a few years back, we are trained <clears throat> Marxists. She's very clear about it. She was taught Marxism by a man 
who, uh, his name was Eric Mann, and he was a member of the Weather Underground uh, domestic terror group back in the 60s, and he taught her. He taught her the reading, the, the writings of, of Mao and Marx and Lenin, and she's been very clear this was her first political home, is the way she put it. Um, so if you want to know what an organization is all about, it really helps a great deal to look at who their founders are. The other two, who you mentioned, uh, Alicia Garza and Opal Tometi, same thing. They both uh, are revolutionary Marxists. They embrace the, the, the Marxist doctrine entirely. And all three of them, um, their, their principal hero in life is a woman named Asada Shakur. Asada Shakur was a convicted cop killer. She's been a fugitive in communist Cuba for more than 40 years now. And uh, she was a was a number one, a cop killer, which is very consistent with the anti-police rhetoric of Black Lives Matter. And she made it plain that she considered police officers back in her day what she called mindless, heartless robots that were simply uh, protecting the status quo and who needed to be destroyed along with the rest of American society. We are talking with John Perazzo, who wrote an amazing investigative report, really stripping bare all of the pretenses of Black Lives Matter being about actually saving black lives. That is not what it is about. Um, John, let's talk about the FRSO, the Freedom Road Socialist Organization, uh, because this is obviously very closely allied to Black Lives Matter. Tell us who they are and what that means. Yeah, the Freedom Road Socialist Organization is a Marxist-Leninist group, and their uh, their objective is to overthrow capitalism and turn America into a socialist society. They have a lot of front groups, and uh, what's interesting is the founders of Black Lives Matter, all three of them, have either been employed by some of these front groups or been affiliated with them in various ways. Uh, they're... The, the ties to Marxism between Black Lives Matter and um, and the founders they, they go on and on. Even they they're even uh, they were even great admirers of the late Fidel Castro. When Castro died, uh, Black Lives Matter wrote a very long uh, article in his praise, talking about the fear and the anxiety and the sadness that people would be feeling, and 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 encouraging them to try to gain uh, strength and guidance from his spirit in the afterlife. That is a remarkable thing when we consider who Fidel Castro was and the island prison that Cuba became that people would be willing to uh, put their, you know, strap themselves to a piece of driftwood just to float away from that island in the hopes of landing in the United States. I mean, that's how bad it was. Um, and, and there may be a little bit of hyperbole in that, but not very much. Uh, and this is the, to whom they look. And it's not just Castro. You know, you point out to some of their other heroes, uh, you know, uh, uh, including uh, Hugo Chavez. You talk about how Tometi um, praised uh, Hugo Chavez and how you mentioned Colors and, and Eric Mann and, of course, Asada Shakur. Um, the, the, the list of barbaric dictators uh, who believe in subjugating and oppressing people uh that they that they support is is extraordinary um how can anybody look at and again they have not hidden these things they have said these things out in the open this is what we wish you you quoted even in 2016 a cornell professor at a blm rally uh who said we have got to build a grassroots anti-racist movement to defeat capitalism altogether it's not going to happen at the ballot box and that means it's going to have to happen in the streets and that's what we're seeing play out right now every night aren't we Yes, we are. That is that is the main objective of Black Lives Matter. They 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 wrap themselves in the flag of in the banner of uh, the 
the dignity and worth of each individual black life. But they, if they actually cared about black lives, um, a, a good thing to, to consider is this. One of the one of the principal values of Black Lives Matter is this notion that the nuclear family structure in America should be dismantled and done away with. Mm-hmm. They they say that what a, a better alternative would be a socialist uh, setup where where a village takes care of of each person and the nuclear family structure is done away with. Now, when you think about the the status of Black America today, where at least seven out of every ten Babies are born into fatherless homes, and and all of the horrible disadvantages that that places them at, it places them at a high risk of poverty, a high risk of ending up in prison, a high risk of having all types of psychological disturbances and problems. There's nothing in the world that would help black people more than to address this this need for for stable nuclear families, and yet. Black Lives Matter takes the exact opposite approach and says we should do away with it and embrace the socialist alternative. And the only reason they, they say that is because Marx and Lenin wrote that that's, uh, excuse me, that uh, Marx and Engels wrote that that is exactly what should happen, that the abolition of private property should lead to the abolition of the nuclear family. So Black Lives Matter embraces this and the welfare of blacks be damned. Exactly, and that's the part of it where, again, we need to repeat, Black Lives Matter is not about black lives. If it was, they would encourage these uh, uh, families to stay intact, that, that fathers should stay in the home, that fathers should avoid being put in prison, fathers should do whatever they have to do to raise their kids so they have that 75% chance of, of getting into the middle class rather than the 90% chance they have of remaining in poverty growing up in a single-parent household. So they do reject the nuclear family for everybody. And and let's talk now about their number one target uh, when it comes to blaming, you know, America for all of their ills. And that, of course, is the police. They have fostered and fomented and fanned the flames of these lies that police are somehow uh, uh, on, on the hunt, uh, that they're racist in nature and they're looking for unarmed black men to shoot down. The statistics on black and white crime are overwhelming, and these are not statistics compiled by you or me. These are compiled by the federal government. The Bureau of Justice Statistics points out the uh, black on uh, uh, black on white and white on black crime and the number of um, uh, instances in which police officers have to draw their guns on both. And those stats you cover in great detail, uh, John, uh, indicate that police are far more likely to pull their weapon on and fire at a white suspect than a black suspect. Yes, that's exactly right. Uh, black Lives Matter ignores this. Their, their supporters ignore this completely. They, they turn a blind eye to it. But in any given year, uh, blacks are roughly at anywhere from 37 to perhaps 40 percent of the perpetrators of what we call serious violent crimes, but they're just about 25 to 30 percent of the perpetrators or suspects who are shot by the police. So there's a considerable underrepresentation there. And that's not to say that uh, anyone should be shot by police uh, in order to, um, for, for some statistical uh, purposes, but it shows that police are act- actually very careful, very judicious. Uh, perhaps even more so than when they're dealing with white uh, suspects. They're very careful before they pull that trigger. Uh, these are statistics that are available to anyone who's interested in them. They, even yeah. even actual shootings, there isn't a year, there is no year in, in, in the last two decades at least where whites who were shot by police were not at least 
almost twice as twice as as, uh, as numerous as blacks mm-hmm. who were shot by the police. Well, you know, you, you one of the studies you cited, and there's myriad studies on this, too. You cited the one from Harvard in 2018 from Roland Fryer, a black Harvard yes. economist who absolutely was trying to do a study to prove that police are racist and the police do yes. shoot more often against African Americans. And he himself said he was stunned to find out that police officers were 47% less likely to discharge their weapon without first being attacked if the suspect is black than if the suspect was white. And white officers were no more likely to shoot unarmed blacks than unarmed whites. So these statistics, again, kind of prove that the narrative being used to advance the cause, the Marxist cause of BLM, is a lie. And, 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 and yet here we sit each and every day and we hear death to America, death to cops. What do we want? Dead cops. When do we want them now? This is defunding the police. We need to abolish the police. Uh, police free zones need to be created. So, John, I mean, you know, this, this entire movement, uh, again, against the police, we know that it's not true, but it's not about saving black lives, is it? No. Uh, and the reason that those statistics are ignored by Black Lives Matter is that they, they are very much, um, aligned with the philosophy of a man named Saul Alinsky. He's mentioned in the pamphlet as well. Alinsky's been dead for almost half a century, but he continues to have a tremendous influence on the left. He he was a a, a big influence on both Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton. And Alinsky said that what's really important, if the left wants to turn uh, society in their favor, is to wage what he called endless war. Never, 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 never... Uh, allow for any type of concessions, never agree on anything, continue to wage war until your enemy is completely destroyed. And if he tries to reach out to you, make uh, make some type of offer, some type of concession, do not accept it, and do not, dis- do not describe your enemy in any way other than as a 100% devil. So you, that's why you never hear Black Lives Matter saying anything good about the police. They have to depict their enemy as a satanic figure. Yeah, uh, and you know, it's, I was going to ask you about Alinsky after our time out here, but I'll say this on the way into a quick break, and then we'll t- continue. Uh, you wrote this, Alinsky taught that in order to cast themselves as noble, noble defenders of high moral principles, radical activists should take pains to react dramatically with greatly exaggerated displays of shock, horror, and moral outrage whenever their targeted enemy errs or can be depicted as having erred uh, in any way at all. And this would be an example of two nights ago in Washington, D.C. Police shot an armed man who refused to listen. Dion K. was his name. He refused to listen to police orders. They shot him in the chest, and immediately they declared Declared, and they, they rioted outside of the uh, precinct uh, there that uh, this innocent, unarmed man was shot in the back. Uh, there was no error, but they tried to create one and to try immediately to capitalize on the situations. So that's a perfect example of Alinskyite uh, tactics. Uh, we're talking with John uh, uh, Perazzo. He is the author of this phenomenal investigative report on Black Lives Matter, and we'll continue with him right after this. All right, 1054, I've got about a good five and a half minutes left with my guest. Uh, John Perazzo uh, wrote an amazing investigative report on Black Lives Matter, Marxist hate disguised or dressed as racial justice. I need at least an hour with you, John, and unfortunately we don't have it, so I'm going to have to cut to a couple of these other segments I want to get to. And you uh, cover in depth the role of Black Lives Matter, the Marxist organization in America's schools. They are reaching our children very, very young and trying to indoctrinate them with these ideas. Can you talk more about that? Sure. Uh, They started back about 
more years ago trying to get into the schools. They, and uh, in Seattle, the teachers' union there uh, established what they called Black Lives Matter at School Day that uh, eventually expanded into Black Lives Matter at School Week, which was uh, made part of uh, Black History Month uh, in many school districts across the country. Uh, now there's thousands of schools uh, where there's a Black Lives Matter curriculum that's been implemented, and it, it, this includes even very, very young children. So you have a, a situation where five- and six-year-olds are being taught the notion that the nuclear family is not something that is necessar- necessarily desirable, but that they're uh, like a collective village in the, in the uh, tradition of socialist societies is preferable. And this is being taught to young children. You know, young children are being taught. Transgenderism plays a, a significant role in Black Lives Matter's agendas, and uh, there are actual teacher's guides that they've put out where teachers are encouraged to tell their students that they that they themselves, these little children, have the right to choose their own gender by listening to their own hearts. And uh, if they want to be a boy one day and a girl the next day, that's that's fine. And uh, no one else can tell them what to do. And these are the types of things that mm. I, I think destroy the minds of, of little children. But Black Lives Matter has no problems with it. No, they don't. And, um, you know, it's one thing to get the kids at school, which they are, and then they get them when they come home, too. And they turn on their, you know, go to their favorite apps and look at their favorite stars because you cover America's popular culture embracing Black Lives Matter, whether it's the entertainment industry, the music industry, and obviously now the sports industry, as the major sports are putting Black Lives Matter on basketball courts, on outfield walls, the NFL is going to have it in the end zones, and all of these other things. Why? Well, I think I know why, right? We go back to the beginning. The name Black Lives Matter. If you don't support Black Lives Matter, you're going to be portrayed as somebody who doesn't support black lives, period. So they feel compelled to do this, don't they? Yes, and you see what happens when someone happens to have the courage in those very rare instances that almost never happen to say something that goes against the orthodoxy of Black Lives Matter. They they quickly get put back in their place, and they often uh, issue some type of very frightened apology, like Drew Brees did in the National Football League and like yeah. others. And then they get canceled anyway. Then the cancel culture takes over anyway. Once you bow to that mob, you think, okay, I'm good now. Nope, that's not enough. Now they want you fired. If they already got an apology, now you can never be, ever think about, and others have to learn a lesson from your mistake, and you can never do that again. You're fired. That's, you know, there is no depth to which they will not stoop to try to harm anybody who may, as you say, speak against the orthodoxy of the movement. And that goes to Saul Alinsky's eternal award, Maxim. Never, ever accept any concessions and never stop fighting the enemy until he's destroyed. I would like to read your conclusion to this uh, entire investigative report to the audience, but I don't have time, so I'm going to ask you to summarize the conclusion. You Again, you have covered every angle of this. I've only asked you about four or five of them. There are uh, so many more uh, pieces that people need to read, and I'll ask uh, you to share how they can see this themselves. But give me a summary of the conclusion, if you could, John. Well, Black Lives Matter is is engaged in trying to find some type of a spark that would set off uh, division between the races in America. They would not uh, a race war is not is not overstating it. it. That is that is certainly what Black Lives Matter is trying to foment. They understand that a crisis like a race war would create the, the kind of climate that's necessary for the type of revolutionary change that they're in, interested in and frightening people 
into pleading for peace at any price uh, is, is their is their way of going about it. So it's really it's not about the dignity of black life. It's about Marxism. It's about racism, black racism, and it's about anti-Semitism. And they have a lot of support from whites, as you, as you notice. These these demonstrations and protests have a lot of white participation, and these are radical leftists who probably are affiliated with Antifa as well. I think the two groups, two movements, are, are sister organizations. As well as the as RevCom USA, which shares their yes. goals, Revolutionary yes. Communist USA, uh, which you also discuss in length or in some depth in this. Uh, uh, John, uh, how can people find this other than on my Facebook page? They can go to frontpagemag.com. The report is there for free. It's um, it's also available in hard copy for three bucks if they wish to have a hard copy. John Perazzo, I wish I had more time to talk about your great work here, but thank you so very much for the time you did spend. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Enjoy the all right, that is all the time we've got. Stay where you are. Mike Gallagher's next. We'll see you Monday.